we invite you to attend the January 2023 Nomad Offshore Summit here in Lisbon, Portugal. This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by ECJ Contacts. Good evening. For those in Asia, good morning. For those in the US or the Americas, and I guess good afternoon to, or good day to those anywhere in between. Welcome to HCG.tax, our weekly live stream. We do this every week to see what's coming up next. Just have a look at HCG.tax forward slash events. So we do live streams every week and we release videos every day talking all things international tax. So for I'm seeing familiar faces. Welcome back. Good to see you guys again. And for those that are new, welcome. We, we talk all things international tax. Now, this is not, you know, how it goes with people who are properly licensed. We are legally obligated to say that this is not advice. We're having a general conversation about general principles and what the intent is that you would walk away from this with an appreciation of the key concepts that you need to keep in mind when engaging with your preferred advisor. So again, this is not advice. You can take it as educational. You can take it as entertainment. Either way, the secret is to always get professional, credible advice. Thank you for those who sent in your questions. I did get them. Not as much as we typically get. We had just under 100 RSVPs for this. I know some of you said you can make it. And for those who can, I did reply to those that I got saying, yes, we do record it. To those who are wondering, yes, as you could tell by logging into Zoom this evening or morning, this is being recorded and it will be available on our website as well as YouTube and across several other platforms as well. So you can have a look at our website if you need to leave early or if your colleagues want to catch up with this recording at some other point in time. So, all good. If you did not get a chance to submit your questions in advance, you can feel free to type in the box below and we will get to them in the order in which they are received. So, without further ado, let's jump in. So, <laughs> I guess the, the most popular topic that's been kind of buzzing around is the new visa. I, I know we, we talk things tax, but, you know, it's come up, right? The, the new 10-year visa available for Indonesia. For those who love Bali, you know, I love Bali. We all love Bali. So, there's a new option on, uh, on the menu in terms of spending time in Indonesia. I think, you know, the Indonesia tends to be it's a beautiful it's a magical place it's one of my favorite places in the whole wild world so no doubt no doubt but it seems as if you know a number of of you know talking heads as as they can you know they're just trying to keep up and get uh get attention as as, as anyone else would in this space they they repeat what they see without kind of doing their due diligence. So first of all, I want to say that there is no, again, I said it last time as a, as a, this today, today is the 27th of October, 2022. There is no digital nomad visa for Indonesia. One is being discussed. One is being planned. 
whether it will happen or not, we'll see. But I, I think for those who are really keen fans of Indonesia, like, like I am, the, the key question isn't really whether there's a visa to stay long-term in Indonesia, because everyone knows that you can stay long-term. There are ways of getting a KITAS or KITAP or you know whatever the case but you know social visit visas visa runs people have figured out the immigration piece i think what is really being uh explored and, and hotly debated is whether this 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 digital nomad visa that's being discussed and as as at this point in time does not exist whether it would include a tax break because for all the things that you would know about Indonesia, one of the bits that isn't popularly discussed is the fact that it is a pretty aggressive jurisdiction tax from a tax perspective compared to its neighbors in Southeast Asia. So it's not territorial tax like Singapore, Malaysia. It doesn't have like this sort of remittance nuance like Thailand. And even, yeah, even the Philippines can be territorial tax once you don't hold a Filipino passport. So Indonesia is probably the least attractive jurisdiction from a tax point of view. And if the digital nomad visa does not include uh, some sort of tax relief, then, you know, what's the point? Some people may ask. Sim similarly with this 10-year visa, again, I've seen just, you know, people have been chatting with a WhatsApp group. For, for Indonesia, so I've seen people dropping stuff in. When you look at the press release from the government, and you can Google translate it from Bahasa Indonesia into English, it specifically mentions it's for people who are not working. So the idea that it's, I've seen some already, some sensationalist headlines, it's for entrepreneurs, it's for you know remote workers, actually, no, it is not. It's this specifically safe for people who's not who are not working. Investors may be, but, not for people who are working. So, you know, pay attention, go beyond, go beyond the headlines. Don't just believe what you see online, you know, do your due diligence. So that's it as far as the Indonesia visa goes. If you want to find out more about taxes in Indonesia, Bali, in particular, Indonesia in general, just drop us an email. Just go to hj.tax and drop us an email. I'll put you in touch with Dicky, and Dicky is the head of tax for Moore's Rule in Indonesia. He sits in Jakarta. There's a satellite office in Bali. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Moore's Rule in Indonesia is the fifth largest accounting firm in Indonesia. So, you know, it's a pretty established firm and they know what they're talking about. So uh, I'll connect you guys with them if you have any specific tax needs for Indonesia. So, Okay, that's it for Indonesia. Let's move on. Let's see the list. I'm going to the list of questions that I got. Okay, somebody wants to sell products on Amazon, but Amazon USA is going to sell to the US market. So what taxes should they consider? Uh, good question. It all depends. <laughs> As you know, with these things, the answer is it, it all depends, right? And it depends on where you are, first and foremost. Like, where, where are you going to be sitting? Are you going to be sitting in Bali? Are you going to be sitting in Dubai? Are you going to be sitting in Portugal, Mexico? Are you going to be sitting in the U.S.? And are you U.S. exposed or not? So the first thing, and you didn't specify, is if you are U.S. exposed, well, 
that kind of puts you in a category of your own, you're taxing your worldwide income, regardless of where you reside. It doesn't matter whether you are in Detroit or in uh, Dubai, you're gonna be taxing your worldwide income by the IRS. So your personal income, and if you're running this Amazon store through a company, that company is also uh, assuming that you 100% own and control that company, then it's subject to CFC rule, control foreign court rules, and it'll be taxable to your US return uh, under the guilty, typically, guilty regime. That's a global intangible low tax income tax. That's assuming, now let's assume that you are not in a tax-free jurisdiction like Dubai or on the welcome stamp in Barbados. Let's assume that you are in a jurisdiction that will tax you, for example, in, let's assume you're in Bali or you are in Malaysia. Uh, in Penang or whatever. So then another uh, perspective to consider is the jurisdiction in which you're operating this company. Most jurisdictions have some variation of management control rules or mind and management or nexus, permanent establishment, you know, different terms to denote the same thing, which is the idea that if you are running a company from their jurisdiction, and economic activity is taking place within their borders, even though that company is incorporated in another jurisdiction, it matters not. Mind and management exists where you are as the 100% owner, director, CEO, and you're sitting in their jurisdiction, there would be potentially corporate tax exposure on your business. So that's something else to consider. Last but not least, this is the US. You're going to be, you said you're going to want to sell, you want to sell in a, Amazon sold to the U.S. So they first, you, you have to consider both direct and indirect taxes. So the indirect taxes would be your sales and use taxes, which would be called GST or VAT in some other jurisdictions. So sales and use taxes would occur on the physical products that you sell. It historically, and when I say historically, like pre-2017, you would be taxed where the goods are being warehoused. So what you do is you look at Amazon because Amazon is, you're assuming you're doing Amazon FBA, right? So Amazon is doing all the fulfillment. So you, Amazon will kind of tell you where your goods are being warehoused in terms of their logistics and wherever it, it, it is being warehoused, so there's a physical presence in a state that typically will trigger sales and use tax. But then there was, uh, a landmark court judgment in 2017, which means that sales and use tax, generally speaking, is no longer triggered by physical nexus, but by economic nexus. And that means that it's not about where the physical goods are only. It's also where, you know, where the consumers, where the buyers. So even though, let's say you're in, uh, your goods are being stored in a warehouse, an Amazon warehouse in New Jersey, but people are buying it in New York and it's above a certain threshold. Yeah, it may trigger sales and use taxes in New York. So indirect taxes, last but not least will be your direct taxes because by virtue of triggering indirect taxes, particularly where there's a physical nexus, certain states in our, in our experience of this stuff, they will get really aggressive and I know the U.S. has a reputation, for, you know, for being a really complex tax system. The IRS isn't the most efficient 
tax administration. But remember, you have 50 states under it. And the states that do have sales and use tax, they tend to be a lot more efficient, a lot more vigilant than the IRS. So keep that in mind. So the states, when you trigger that sales and use tax, the states will jump on it, depending on the nature, whether unless it's you have a physical warehouse uh, storage in an Amazon warehouse in North Carolina. North Carolina might say, hey, hold on. We, we see that physical nexus, we see you, and we think you do to pay some corporate income tax based on your company selling in Carolina. I know that you're outside of the US, but direct taxes or corporate income taxes are due as well. And then that potentially may lead to federal taxes. So the point is it gets really complex. So summarize, you're looking at direct and indirect taxes in the US, you're looking at corporate taxes wherever you're running this company from outside of the U.S. And you're looking at personal taxes wherever you are in the world. So you'd want to sit with a qualified advisor and kind of talk it through someone who's experienced with Amazon sellers. And that's kind of like a niche thing. We've had quite a few uh, clients, you know, from the low end you know, high six, low seven figures, and for those with eight and nine figures as well. So uh, either myself, I'll pass you on to Aaron. Aaron, and we have we have an interview, a long form interview, like over an hour with Aaron on our website. So if you go to uh, hg.tax or you just go to our YouTube channel and you can pull up that interview and he goes way deep. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, Aaron is your guy. He spent, him and his team have spent their life on sales and use taxes. These guys are gurus. Yes, you can look at software. Like, I don't want to call the name, but if you Google it, there are two software providers that will pop up. They're brilliant, absolutely. But if it is, it's your seller from outside of the US. Uh, sales and use taxes are complicated on their own, but combine that with the fact that you're from outside of the US, it gets really more complex. Many of the states still require manual registration, so software cannot help you. And, you know, some of the reporting still may be manual. So the software can help a whole bunch, but it's not like, it's not a panacea, it's not a silver bullet. So you probably want to think about getting some advice. Okay, hope that helps you. Next one, okay. <laughs> okay, so someone has been selling, I'm not going to say any names, I'm not going to say, obviously, right? So someone has been selling to, on Amazon for a while and they have not been compliant. They have hit the thresholds, you know, they generally speaking, it's 200 units, $100,000. That is such a generalization. You know, some states have 100 units, some states have a higher number of unit thresholds, some states have a lower dollar threshold or higher dollar amount. It really varies. You have 50 states, yes, but you have over 10,000 salesman use tax jurisdictions. So if you're an online seller, again, this is a, a this it's its own rabbit hole. You need to get specialized advice. But let's just say, let's assume you didn't know honest mistake, hey, things happen and you have not been compliant for the last few years. What do you do? Do not panic. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I get into this in the interview I did with Aaron. Again, you know, him and his team qualified accountants and with decades and decades of experience with sales and use taxes. And 
you know, we, we go through this in, in, in considerable detail. The point, the, the, the point I want to get to here, as we just briefly top line summarize it, is that there are amnesty programs like amnesty in all but name or amnesty by name. So there are programs for those who have not been 100% compliant with their sales and use tax, where you can, you can, um, and the way amnesty works is that you need to get to the tax authority before the tax authority gets to you. So you do your calculations, get your paperwork in order, sit to your professional and say, hey, Mr. Tax Office for XYZ State, I'm sorry, we have not been 100% compliant. Here are our numbers. Now, some states will say, just give me your numbers and we'll send you the bill. And then some states say, no, it's okay. You calculate what you think you owe us and send it, send it to us, probably with some of your working papers, and, and we'll take it from there. So it's, again, each state, each jurisdiction is going to be slightly different. But the point is that you go to them before they go to you. And yeah, you know, it's, you know, I know what some of you are thinking that there, you probably have heard online and certain online forums because they're like specialist forums for online sellers, right? Because some of my clients, some of our clients tell us this, that there are qualified tax advisors out there, U.S. qualified advisors that say, hey, if you have not been compliant, don't worry about it. Walk away, form a new company and start over. And my response when they say that is, that's what the other tax lawyer told you. Okay. Did he put it in writing or did he tell you on Zoom? He told me on Zoom. Ask him to send it in an email. Crickets. <laughs> Nobody's going to put that in an email because that is condoning, uh, you know, tax evasion. So, <laughs> which is uh, an offense, you know, civil criminal penalties, blah, 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 blah. So nobody's going to tell you to break the law in writing but you know some guys play fast and loose and they may tell you to do it uh over a call all i say is caveat emptor may the buyer beware again I, I say this all the time the u.s is one of those jurisdictions that it's kind of like in the movies the movies get it pretty accurate because we've seen this with our clients if one person gets caught that one person gets caught uh, breaking the law, not paying taxes, trying to evade taxes. So, so their non-compliance is deemed to be willful and willful is not defined in any statute. So we look at case law. So you intentionally seek to evade a known legal duty. And so that's your non-willful was, your non-compliance was willful. Okay. Then the first thing they do, the, the IRS has, or the tax office will have a conversation with you. And they, one of the questions, just like in a movie, is who helped you? Who were your enablers? Name names. And you'll be incentivized to do so, and our clients tell us. They will, you know, the IRS would be, or the tax authority would be easy on them because they are cooperative. And, and you know, if you say, you know, hey, this tax advisor, Darren Joseph, and he has this website and he's on youtube and he told me in in an email <laughs> to you know to evade you know he was my enabler he helped me incorporate a new company they'll say like okay they may be a bit more lenient on you for helping them by providing that information and what they're going to do is they're going to go to darren's profile 
within their records because every client would uh the darren advises or helps with the compliance my my uh, my id would be part of the return and they'll go through and they'll pick up every single client that i've done and they will audit them so i, I say that to make a point so if it is that you work with an advisor that plays fast and loose you may not get caught but one of his other clients may get caught one of one of his or her other clients may get caught and once they do and they give up the advisor then every one of the advisor's clients will be under investigation which would include you so be very careful in who you choose for advice but the point is if it is you have not been 100 compliant with your sales and use tax as an amazon as an online seller get professional advice as to how to engage with the amnesty programs, how to come clean and get things done the right way. Hope that helps. Okay, next question. And don't worry, Frank, I see your question below. I'm just gonna get through the questions that were submitted ahead of you. So please be patient, thank you, appreciate it. So next question, somebody's asking about, yeah, Okay, I'm just going to summarize what you're asking. How do you tell what the right tax team is to work with? Uh, that, that's a great question. And at the end of the day, obviously, it's a personal choice. Ideally, you want someone who's qualified. They must have some sort of license. They must have some skin in the game. And chances are they would not be popular. And here's what I mean by that. When you are licensed to practice in, at least in uh, an advanced economy, so like Europe, uh uk north america australia new zealand right they you have a license to practice as a tax advisor or a tax accountant or a tax lawyer there are rules around your conduct right there are rules around your conduct. like when i started this live stream i had to say that you know hey nothing i'm saying here should be construed as advice i'm having a general conversation general principles you need to sit with a qualified advisor to get actionable intelligence right to get an action plan for moving forward to help you to tax returns help you to structuring you need to sit with someone who knows you inside out i know you're sending me a message and i'm going to talk to you messages but nothing you could say in, in two or three sentences would equip me with all the info i would need to give you real actionable advice it's not going to happen so we are constrained in how we put forward our message for someone who is not qualified there are no rules so they can make lots of promises they can say lots of stuff which they don't have to back up and they can straight up lie and they or misrepresent themselves or misrepresent outcomes and there will be no tax there'll be no consequences because they have no license so that's why i say you know you want somebody with skin in the game someone must have a license right so that's first and foremost understand too that domestic tax is way different from international tax and i'll give you an example of a, of a prospect that approached us a couple of days ago and this is typical of what we what happens all the time you know someone approached us you know they have modest income annual income let's say in the low six figures you know nothing to get nothing unusual right and they're exposed in three or four jurisdictions. Again, that's typical of the kind of clients that knock on our door, come through the website. They have exposure in three or four jurisdictions because of how they work, remote worker, 
clients moving around homes in a number of jurisdictions. Typical, pretty typical, right? And I said, okay, yeah, I'm happy. You know, let's let's get to know each other. Show me your most recent return from two or three of those jurisdictions, and we can see if there's something here, you know, if we can help you, if we're the right team to help you, because we don't claim to know everything, you know, well, maybe we're the, not the right team, maybe we are. Let's see your tax returns and let's see how everything fits together. We had a look at his tax returns and it, ooh, it, it was it was not in, not in a good state, right? He was paying way more taxes than he needed to. His effective tax rate was way too high. Why? Because this person, he was working with domestic tax counsel in each jurisdiction. So his tax team, they didn't know about other jurisdictions. They didn't know international tax. They didn't speak to each other. They didn't understand how to negotiate the nuances of tax treaties, totalization agreements, foreign tax credits, nothing like that. So he was being double taxed, triple taxed. He's being taxed all over. So I said, okay, things, things are not so good, but we can help you out. And I sent him a proposal as to whatever. Dude gets upset. You know, he says, our prices are way too high. The, his, the, the tax teams that did the returns, they were like a small fraction of what we were charging. And I was saying, yeah, I know. I know they were cheap because, you know, obviously look at your situation. And, you know, he walked away all upset. And, you know, he, he was not a happy camper. And... So chances are he's walked away upset. He's going to go back to the same tax team who got him into that situation. So he can't get out of the, of the, the rut that he's in. All tax teams are not created equal. You know, I know it's a bit extreme, but I compare uh, tax professionals with medical professionals, right? So there are GPs, for example, but if you, if you need neurosurgery or if you need a cardiologist, you don't expect a GP to know cardiology or to know the latest techniques in brain surgery. That's like a highly uh, specialized area of medicine, similarly with international tax. Yes, people know international, people know domestic tax, but international tax, it's a whole other beast. You know, we train with, you know, our teams are qualified in multiple jurisdictions. And it takes a whole lot of time and a whole lot of experience to be able to do what we do. And again, when people get trained up to that level and they invest so much in themselves and their teams, they're not going to give that away for free. So, so my point is look for someone who's licensed, look for experience in multiple jurisdictions and don't expect it to be free and don't expect it to be cheap because, you know, Who's going to invest years and years of time in terms of training experience and then give it away for pennies on a dollar? It just doesn't make sense. That does not add up. And in business, as a business person, you should know if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So be very careful in choosing your tax team. Okay. Hope that helps. <laughs> okay. Right. Somebody is, okay, yeah, you've been traveling for a while. I can see you've been traveling for a few years. And you're thinking of giving up your U.S. citizenship. So that's a particularly U.S. question. 
Now, and again, we at hcj.tax, if you go to forward slash events, we do live streams every week. And there are live streams particularly dealing with US exposed clients. And just like we have live streams that particularly focus on Indonesia or Australia or Portugal or Spain or whatever. So this is something we we'll probably get into in the US one, but just generally speaking, if you, you can give up your US passport or green card, if you are green card holders, you can give up your US tax status, right? First of all, you need to have another, assuming you're a citizen, right? You need to have another citizenship lined up and you'd need to make sure that the last five years of your tax returns are in order. So, you know, I know you've been traveling already. So, you know, make sure all your worldwide income has been properly reported. The companies that you've been working with or through or have been reported as well. The foreign bank accounts, any, any other structures that you may have full disclosure because with the us it seems counterintuitive you may think hey, hey tax offices just want their money mm. the new gold isn't necessarily money the new gold is information as you're probably aware so a lot of the tax reporting particularly to the us is geared around getting as much information as possible on on you as a taxpayer so and and we know this is super important because the penalties for not reporting certain investments or financial holdings are way more than the penalties for not paying some tax, right? It's it's disproportional, it's civil and criminal penalties thrown in. So it's, it's, sometimes it can be pretty draconian. So we that's how we know that's a clear message from the authorities that, hey, information is what we're after. So make sure all those information returns are done for the last five years. So I don't know, you didn't say where it is your resident, but you need to check for the US, nearest US embassy. You can probably make an appointment online. You go in, you uh, you know, you know, go to the relevant section and say, hey, I wanna give up my US citizenship. They may ask, are you sure? You say, yes. Some of them will deal with you on the spot. Some of them give you a cooling off period, go come back and take a second appointment. Especially before COVID, they used to do that a lot. Now they kind of deal with you on the spot once you get in, right? So, you, you know, basically you get a, a CLN, a certificate of loss of nationality, and you, you sign up for the paperwork and it goes to DC, but it's whenever it's approved in DC, it's backdated to the date at which you signed it at the embassy. So that's, that's your effective date, right? So that it says for, that's a process from an immigration perspective, from a tax perspective. Again, I said that you need to make sure you're clean and clear for the last five years. You may be subject to an exit tax, so how does the exit tax work? It, it's three ways in which it's triggered, but most people focus on two ways in which it's triggered, which would be if you net assets in excess of 2 million, which gets to be pretty easy, right? You, you have a decent house and you probably have crossed 2 million. So it's a relatively low threshold, but it is what it is. So if it is, uh, that that's one way, net assets. So you get to deduct your debt. So like mortgages and stuff, but net assets over 2 million. The other way is if your average tax bill for the past, uh, let's say three or five years has been more than a certain amount and that amount goes up with inflation, but let's say if it's more than $165, $170,000, your tax bill for the past few years, then you may wanna look at that more carefully because it seems as if you may be a covered expat. Now, if you're not a covered expat, then you've know you, you you've seen, you've had an appointment at the embassy in October 27, 2022. 
you sign off all the documents in 2023 when you go when you go when you're working with your tax team to do your 2022 returns you'll do a dual status return dual status being uh, you hold two status for the year, for part of the year up until October, you were a U.S. person. And from the end of October to the end of December, you were not a U.S. person. So you followed dual, something called a dual status return together with a Form 8854, which I like to put as the goodbye return because that, the, we, your way of communicating to the IRS, hey, this is my last return as a U.S. person. Uh, I'm out. So there's typically... Uh, no exit tax calculation if you were not a covered expat. If you were to be a covered expat, as explained earlier, there'll be an exit tax calculation, which assumes, you know, just, you know, keep it simple because it can be kind of nuanced because like they're deferred tax liabilities. So if very, very simple, it assumes that you liquidate everything as of the date of your expatriation. And that gain, that capital gains, that deemed gains, that's going to be taxed at your capital gains rate. So that's basically how it works. So that's what you're looking at. If it is you want to give up your citizenship, of course, we would advise not just to jump in, get proper advice, get planning, because there may be some pre-expatriation planning, which can help you optimize your tax position before you make such a big decision. Hope that helps. Next question. How do I set up a company in the US of A? Now, yeah, this, this is another interesting one that I, we, we get emails on this almost every day as well. I got one yesterday from someone in one of the Emirates, I think it's Abu Dhabi, about setting up a company in the US, right? Okay. Again, you know, it's not that I'm look, I'm chasing business here. I mean, we get something like we get over 50 inquiries via social media every day. So, you know, I'm 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 actually in the situation of looking to recruit staff. So things are, are pretty busy for us. They, so, but I do tell you that you need to be careful. I know that you just Google Foreman LLC in the US and there's some pop-up that you see or some paid ad at the top of the Google results that show you that for $99 or $199, you can set up a Delaware LLC and that's all you need. We, it's cheap, it's cheap and easy to get into a situation like that. It can be really tricky to get out of it and to unravel it if that is not the right fit for you. Before we, you know, the first thing we need to understand is what is the nature of your business? Do you need a local LLC? Or do you need a local C corp? Because in the U.S., they're different. When you, when you say a company, there are different types of companies, right? There's an LLC, uh, which uh, which is a limited liability company, but then that company can be treated in different ways for tax purposes. It can be treated as a pass through, or it can be treated as a taxable entity. So it can be treated as something called a C corp. There's also the the we, there's also an option to elect to be treated as an S-Corp, but that's normally reserved for U.S. exporters persons. But, you know, it can be treated in different ways, is my point. Also, you know, the U.S. is not just, it's one jurisdiction, but it's also made up of a number of little jurisdictions. So the federal government does not form companies. The federal government doesn't form LLCs. This, the, an LLC is a creature of the state. So you need to go, you need to pick a state 
form a company and then tell the federal government here, form a company in Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, or whatever. And this is how I want it to be treated for tax purposes. So the second thing is that which state, you know, where, which state are you going to pick? I, I know Google comes at the top because, you know, Google has a, uh, Delaware, I know Delaware comes at the top of Google search results because Delaware has a fantastic brand, but is Delaware the right jurisdiction for you? Where do you have Nexus? Where do you have permanent establishment? Where do you have independent agents? Uh, you know, where do you have physical product? Where do you have, a, you know, some sort of showroom or storage facility, warehousing, that, that drives where your LLC or where your entity is going to be. So where your client's going to be, uh, do you have boots on the ground in the U.S. or not? Is it a physical product or is it a service? So we really need to understand your business model in, out, in and out, inside out, whoever, not me, but whoever is helping you form that company or that entity in the U.S., needs to understand your, your business model inside out. What about banking? You know, where's where the funds gonna flow? Is it gonna remain in the US to be reinvested in the business? Or do you need the dividends pulled out back to the whole code, the parent company, wherever you may be? What is the long-term plan? Is it to grow within the US? I know we do another, our most popular live streams are those on migrating to the US. So for some people, they're setting up a business with a view to moving to the US themselves. That, that'll be a whole different model we're gonna prepare versus those who are planning an exit. Some people, obviously the US is one of the most vibrant financial markets in the world. You set up a company in Dubai, it'll be valued at let's say two X and given just being, just for the purposes of the discussion, you set up the same company in the US, it might be 10 X in terms of the valuation. It's a more liquid, uh, a more vibrant, dynamic marketplace. So are you setting it up for an exit? So we need to work through all of that before we begin to really get into that conversation as to what the right structure is for you. And it's not gonna, it's not gonna be as cheap as 299 or whatever it is you see online, but that is the cost of doing things the right way. I always say it's easier to be proactive and spend the money upfront and getting things done the right way than having to fix it on the back end where you correct mistakes that were made. But, you know, I must declare that we have a conflict of interest here because as a, a firm, we probably make more money helping clients fix mistakes that they made on their own or through advisors who are not experienced than we do helping clients get things done right the first time around. So... Okay, hope that helps. Moving down, how, okay, so, all right, somebody's asking how easy it is to move to the US. We do a separate live stream, have a look. We, we work with immigration attorney, Michael Dye. He used to work with the US embassy in Mexico. So he is, he knows immigration inside out. Uh, he has offices in Dubai as well as in Singapore, Indonesia, and Malaysia. Uh, you know, he has a great team. He's a great guy. If you please reach out to me and I'll put you in touch with Michael Dye. Uh, or, or you can look at to be easier. He's going to charge you for a consult. His time is not free. Nobody goes to school for that number of years and then just gives away stuff on a daily basis for free. He might do a live stream, but to get a one-on-one -on -one consult with him, you know, you need to pay for his time. We, we have a, a few live streams from the past with him on our website. So again, go to our YouTube channel, go to our website, 
do a search, it will pop up. Maybe some of your questions are answered there. But if it is that you live in a treaty jurisdiction like Europe or Australia or Singapore or in the Caribbean and Grenada, then you're probably looking at an e-visa that is only available to treaty countries. That is countries that the US has a great relationship with. That's normally a popular way of getting in. There are L visas for entrepreneurs who want to set up a business in the US. And of course, there are the EB-5s, which is where you pay roughly pay a million dollars and you, you and your family will get a green card because the EB-5 is about investing in job creating activities in the US. So there are a number of investment visa options. Have a look on our website, reach out to me, I can put you in touch with Michael Dye and he will be able to help you get things done in the correct way. Hope that helps. Okay, so Matt is, uh, sorry. Well, well I, I don't think you mind me mentioning that your name is Matt, right? Okay, so Matt is asking, hi, this is my question. I pay taxes in the UK but won't be going back for a long time. I've been away for almost a year now. Can I avoid paying taxes there? I'm self-employed. Okay, Matt, it, it depends on, on your situation. You know, it really, really depends on your situation. Normally in the UK tax residence, tax residence is triggered uh, by HMRC. Uh, his no, we used to say Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Well, obviously now we need to say His Majesty's Revenue and Customs because of uh, the King. Okay, so residency in the UK will be triggered uh, in one of two ways by HMRC. It'll be there's a statutory residence test, which is based on the number of days you spend on on, on UK soil. So again, you can it's super easy. Go to HMRC's website, do a search for statutory residence tests, answer the questions, and it will give you a guide as to whether you're caught in the UK tax net as a result of the statutory residence test. And you can tell by the nature of those questions what, what keeps you, if it is that you are tax resident in the UK, what keeps you there, and therefore the threshold that you need to be conscious of when you're going back and forth from the UK, right? That's the first way that's quantitative. That's relatively easy to get, right? The way, the other way is more qualitative and definitely more subjective. And that's the, the center of life. There's a center of life test or center of vital interest test. Uh, but basically it looks at a, a basic, it, it assesses whether you have a closer connection to any other country than the UK. So I don't know, Matt, you didn't say where you're living. Maybe you're living in Bali or maybe you're living in Malaysia or Singapore or maybe you're in Dubai. If it is that you have a closer connection to, I'm going to say Bali, if you have a closer connection to Bali, then you can argue that, hey, my center of vital interest is now Bali, not the UK. So HMRC, please leave me alone. So that, that is the one that you probably want to pay closer attention to. You didn't say, you know, what your relationship status is. Typically, if it is that you still have a home available for your use and the workaround to that, obviously just rent it out. So if it is you have an empty house still in London available for your use, maybe you're married and, you know, your partner or kids or whatever are still in, in the UK, even though you're out of the UK for an entire year and therefore you would be non-resident according to the statutory residence test. 
you can fail and you can be tax resident just by virtue of your family still being in the UK or you have a home, uh, a place of habitual abode in, in the UK. So again, you'll want to look at the statutory residence test on HMRC's website, as well as have a conversation with a tax professional about that uh, center of vital interest or that closer connection test. And if it is you've been traveling around as you hint in your email, then you may want to consider establishing uh, a bona fide establishing bona fide residence in another jurisdiction. So, like if you're if it is you're in Bali, maybe you're in Airbnb. Maybe you want to get a long term rental contract. You might want to get some utilities in your in your name. You know, yeah, something basically some utilities or rental contract things that show uh, a tax return if you're paying taxes to Indonesia. Something that demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt, hey, HMRC, I am a bona fide resident of Indonesia or Malaysia, wherever it is. So therefore, please don't try to tax me back in the UK. So uh, that's essentially what you're looking for. And that's what you need to manage. You need to manage the statutory residence test and you need to manage that whole idea of the UK not being your center of vital interest. Matt, I hope that helps. Moving on, which EU countries are the most tax friendly for self-employed or freelancers? Frank, we get to your question. Thank you for your patience, right? Um, okay, here's the deal, right? The, the Europe and tax efficiency are not normally found in the same sentence. I'm, I'm super serious now. By moving to Europe, you're making a decision like many of our clients do. I mean, I am exposed, I'm tax, I, I'm resident, I'm tax resident in four jurisdictions or five jurisdictions. Anyway, four, four. I, I do four tax returns every year. One of them is to a European country. And the reason why is that, hey, I have made a decision that it's about quality of life, it's about quality of experience. It's not just about penny pinching. So therefore I voluntarily for my own strategic region, reasons, make allow myself to be tax exposed to, to Europe and to the UK as, as well. So it's not all about tax. But having said that, if it is that you were reliant on investment income or pension income only, uh, there may be more of a conversation to be had. But since you pointed out to, to us here that you are self-employed and you're a freelancer, that means that your income is earned income. It's not investment income. It's not pension income. It is earned income. That means uh, it's going to be pretty tricky. So generally speaking, the Northern European countries tend to be more aggressive or a, a, a higher tax than the Southern Euro European countries, generally speaking. Uh, of course, there are exceptions. There always are exceptions, but generally speaking, Many of the jurisdictions do have carve-outs. So for example, Ireland and the UK and Cyprus, they have res non doms where, you know, income that arises outside isn't tax, income that arises in. You have flat taxes in Italy and Switzerland. Uh, you have a kind of variant uh, of, of territorial, a wannabe territorial tax system with the Beckham law in Spain or NHR in Portugal. Uh, 
and there are certain concessions for France and for Belgium that we've seen in Holland as well. Okay, but you are a freelancer. <laughs> so I think you may want to be looking at either the just purely from a tax perspective obviously it's this quality of life what weather are you into are you into winter sports do you want beach you know uh, yeah what languages you prefer or what languages you're already fluent in what languages you want to learn family friends whatever but purely from a tax perspective you probably want to be looking at spain and portugal so portugal may be an attractive and interesting option to you if you fall into the nhr nhr has this uh, special tax treatment of high value skills, of highly skilled individuals. So they specify like people who enter like biochemistry or IT, certain IT professionals. Uh, you know, they, you can have a look at our website again, tax. do a search for NHR, and we have it in Portuguese and English like what the professions are, what the skills they're looking at. That'd be flat tax at 20%. But of course, yeah, that sounds attractive because Europe typically is a lot higher than 20%, obviously. Plus, Europe generally is worldwide income. So, so that is a, a an interesting proposition, flat tax at 20%. But do bear in mind that you it's unlikely, well, depending on whether you could whether you'll have to, and chances are you would have to pay social charges. Social charges will add another, let's say, 21% to it. So but that's what you're looking at. The other option, I don't know how you can structure your, your earnings or, or whatever. You may want to look at uh, the Beckham Law in Spain. If it's above a certain threshold, because obviously you need to pay for the formation of the company and the company running expenses because the Beckham Law works to give you territorial tax treatment once you work for a Spanish company. So, so typically you work with lawyers. So I do live streams with Ricky, who's a, a tax advisory firm in Barcelona. And those, those live streams are pretty popular. We normally get more questions than we can ever get through in, in a single hour. So it's like two, 300 people throwing questions at us, but we have fun. We love it. You can see a few of the, I mean, of the past episodes that we've done on our website or on YouTube. And, you know, they're, they're pretty engaging. But the point is we can run the numbers for you and see whether it makes sense economically for you to consider uh, the, the Beckham Law, depending on how you're structuring. I know that there are, so, so I'd say Spain and Portugal under the NHR, if it is that you're highly skilled, according to their categorization, or maybe you, if it is that you're working and you're above a certain threshold, maybe the Beckham Law would fit for you. Uh, I know that there are advisors who may say, hey, form an LLC in the U.S. and channel everything through that. Mm. Again, you know, as we were saying earlier on in this conversation, there's mind and management, right? So if there's no substance to that LLC, and when we have, because there have been recent court cases, and it's not just about looking at the outcome of the cases, but what was discussed and what was the merits that they you know, the judges and questions had to, had to consider, right? So don't just look at the summary paragraph, but look at a bit of the discussion between. So you can not just look at the, the letter of the law, but the intent or the spirit of the law as well. I think that's always helpful. 
But those who would advocate that form an LLC, collect the money in the bank account outside, and then, then you should be free of tax, I think they're doing you a disservice. And if you get caught, it's going to be no world, it's going to be a world of hurt for you. Because if there's no substance in that L in that that company formed in a foreign jurisdiction, even if it is in the US, there's no substance there, you're not paying taxes there, then that definitely defeats the intent of the law, as we discuss in our articles, right? So uh, so yeah, you sit with an advisor, talk it through. There may be a way of structuring it to be more tax efficient, considering NHR, considering Backham Law, maybe one of the other jurisdictions, depending on the nature of your income and the structure of your affairs as they stand now. But that, those, are, those are the two that kind of pop into my mind uh, easily based on what you've shared with us this evening. So reach out to your preferred advisory team and take a deeper dive into it and see what could be done. But again, but one thing I caution is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> yeah, hope that helps. All right, let's look at one last question uh, before we wrap up as we approach the top of the hour. Uh, I'm just doing a quick look on Facebook to see what's going on over there. Okay, yep. All right, last question. Okay, so we somebody's asking about delinquent tax returns. You're welcome. You're welcome. Somebody's asking about delinquent tax returns. So we spoke this in for US, for the US. So we spoke about delinquent, uh, delinquent tax returns for sales and use tax or indirect taxes, which are uh, akin to like GST or VAT in other jurisdictions. Now someone is asking about delinquent tax returns for personal income tax. So they've been traveling, they've been seeing the world, which is all good. And unfortunately, they haven't been keeping up to date with their personal tax filings, which does happen. You know, life gets the best of us. What do you do? Now, there are, you know, first of all, you're not alone. It happens to a lot of people. So don't beat yourself up too much. You want to look at one of the options for coming clean with the IRS and, and, and getting on the, on the right track again. I know there are people, I'm perfectly aware that there are teams out there that will tell you to hide or, you know, I believe in, you know, getting and having no problems. I have no problems going to sleep. Uh, I'm not worried. I'm not looking over my shoulder, wondering, you know, if somebody's out to arrest me or whatever. And I don't want that for any of our clients either. So I always advise people, just do the right thing. You, you'll sleep much easier knowing that you, you're doing the right thing. You don't need to worry about anybody trying to catch you, right? So honesty is the best policy. You'd need to sit with a professional and we'd need to understand whether your non-compliance was willful or non-willful. Like what we discussed earlier, not willfulness isn't this isn't the explored or defined in the US tax code. So we rely on case law. So if it is that you intentionally avoided or evaded a known legal duty, you have been willful in your non-compliance. If you did not 
if if you did not intentionally avoid that known legal duty, then you are non-willful. So most of our clients tend to be non-willful. So they'll fall into something called the streamlined compliance procedure. Uh, it's driven by the statute of limitations. So regardless of the number of years that you've been non-compliant, the look back period is three years for returns and six years for FBARs. FBARs stand for the foreign bank account report. Uh, again, with international tax, with US international tax in particular, the emphasis is on disclosure. They want to know what you're doing rather than just simply collecting taxes. And we know that because the penalty for not providing information is way higher than the penalty for not paying your taxes. So for not filling out an information return, it could be civil penalties or jail time. You can actual actual criminal penalties. So I guess pretty aggressive, pretty, pretty nasty. So you don't want to mess with that. So three years return, six years FBARs, FBARs, foreign bank account reporter requirements since the 1970-71 Bank Secrecy Act. It is not new. So people who tell you it's new, it isn't. It goes all the way back to before I was born, before probably you and I were born, right? So you want to get your FBARs ready. You want to get your personal returns ready, including disclosure of any investments you may have made, interest in companies and stuff like that, trust, foundation, whatever the case may be. You need to get that all out there, right? And you need to you get that together with a, a form 14653 uh, in which you, you need to do some sort of statement explaining the reason for your non-compliance, like what, you know, what, you know, if there was any drama in your life or misunderstanding of the tax rules, or if you were improperly advised by a less experienced practitioner, you want to put all, all in there, just be honest, completely honest with, with the IRS as to why you haven't been filing. Most most of our clients file it themselves. If, you, if your situation is a little bit more complex in the ordinary, we would advise that you speak with a specialist tax lawyer, that one of those that we work with or one that you know on your own, there's specialist tax lawyers that specialize in drafting those non-willful statements. So you probably won't pay attention to that. If it is that your non-compliance was willful, and we've seen that again with you know people who, for whatever reason, they tried to get away with it, but now they decide, you know what, I want to sleep well at night, so I'm going to come forward voluntarily, right? So there are there's a, there's a program within the IRS manual itself. So there's, you know, there's, there's, there's voluntary disclosure. There used to be OVDP, but that's gone, but there is still voluntary disclosure available. We, that, for that, you definitely need a lawyer. We can introduce you to one of the lawyers that we work with and he or she will walk you through the process. We still put together the returns. They work on that, non, that, that, uh, that statement because the statement is still needed. You still need to approach the IRS in the right way and so on. So the point is don't run. Uh, you know, you need to get those tax returns in. It will always haunt you. And we've had, uh, we've had, I don't know if you're aware that the IRS can have your passport revoked. And we've, we've seen it with increasing frequency. Up to last month, we had a client I won't say what part of the world he's he or she was in, but we had a client, and, and, and you know it's not unusual. It, we probably see them, let's say not not every day, but let's say every seven or eight months now. Someone approaches us, hey, my client, my passport was seized. Normally, what what happens is that the person would approach the local embassy wherever it is you're living to get your U.S. passport 
renewed. That's typically how it would be. And then they take it from you and then you say, well, when can I get it back? And they're like, oh, there's a, there's some, there's a, you have a problem with the IRS, but we're not allowed to give you back your passport and we're not allowed to issue you a new passport. So you're in a foreign country and you're without a passport. You need to figure that out. So then they come to us all panicking and, you know, sweating and shouting and we're super upset. So you can lose your passport, which is you know, a huge stick that can be, that's being waved at people right now. You don't want to end up in a, a bad situation. You don't want to have a lien against your home back in the U.S., against any investment accounts you may have in the U.S., and we've seen bank accounts frozen, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't want to get in that kind of trouble. It does not go away. Bankruptcy does not relieve you of any IRS tax debt. That's a, a fiction. If it is that you do declare bankruptcy, you still have any tax bills. It will still be due in full. So don't run. Uh, don't avoid the notices if they're coming to you. Don't hide. Just please uh, reach out to either ourselves or you prefer tax professionals and, and get things done the right way. So... Uh, you have options, more, most popular of which would be the streamline, as well as if you have been willfully in non-compliance, you'd probably want to look at voluntary disclosure together with a qualified tax attorney. So hope that helps. So that's it. We've come to the end of another one. Thank you for joining us. HEJ.tax. This will be available on our website, on YouTube, and on about 25 other podcast platforms, basically iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever it is that you get your podcast, this is going to be. Have a look at hg.tax forward slash events for what's coming up next week. We do this every week. We release uh, a new video every day. So just look out for us on social media. Have a good evening. Have a good morning. Have a good day, depending on where you are. All right. See you guys next time. Bye-bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.